This fall, in the evening services throughout the month of October, Together in Christ is making available to you four sermons from up-and-coming preachers and teachers from our membership here at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For the last couple of years, these men have been working to grow their preaching and teaching skills through weekly classes and opportunities to preach to our congregation. This opportunity is given to these men in order for them to put into practice what they are learning and then be encouraged, edified, and sometimes corrected and reproved by our congregation. The following message by Lucas Setzler is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good evening. If you have your copy of the Word of God, please turn to John chapter 15. That's where we are going to spend some time this evening. John chapter 15, the verse, eight verses. This evening we're going to look at probably what is a pretty familiar passage to a lot of you if you've studied the Word of God, especially the Gospel of John. In the book of John, Jesus has many I am sayings, and in fact, we looked at one this morning in our study. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15 contains the last of these I am sayings, being that Jesus saying that I am the true vine. There's also a second element to this, one that the other sayings do not have, that being that not only is Jesus the true vine, but also it says that my father is the vine dresser. So with this, we see that Jesus is distinguishing himself between his role and the role of his father. So go ahead and let's read these eight verses together as we dive into our text tonight. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." Let's pray this evening. Lord, again, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather here to study your word. Thank you for your precious word of God that you've given to us to be able to read, to study, and be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, I just pray this evening that you will be glorified above all else and that our hearts and minds will be tuned towards you so that we might be able to focus on you and get what it is that you want us to do for your kingdom. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and it is in your name, amen. Right away, I'd like to ask the question, who is this vine dresser? It mentions right away, my father is the vine dresser. It's important to know who the vine dresser is that we're even looking at. Jesus' words here in this text uses great imagery that we see all across the Old Testament. Ancient Israel was an agrarian society where the key crop was grapes. 
That is why there's so many metaphors and references to vines. A vine was used as a metaphor for Israel as a nation. We're going to see in just a moment in Psalm chapter 80 that God called the nation of Israel his vine. And like a vine dresser, he planted and tended it, and he expected it to bear fruit, in this case, to all nations. The gospels show us that much of the Old Testament teachings with respect to Israel was fulfilled in Christ. The vine imagery is no different. Jesus basically said, I am the true Israel of God. Psalm 80, God calls the people to Israel to repent of their sins and return to fidelity to his covenant relationship with them. The psalmist wrote this in verses 14 through 18. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. The psalmist first here calls for God to return to the people, for he has departed them. Here he speaks of Israel as the vine and as the vineyard that God himself has planted. The vineyard is in very poor condition. The psalmist pleads that God would restore his grace upon Israel and that he would do it through the Son of Man. We see a prefigurement of Christ. When he came in the fullness of time, he announced that he was the true vine and that God the Father was the vine dresser. The Father owned the vineyard and was responsible for its care, its nurture, its productivity. Christ was the vine because he was the fulfillment of Israel. Now we know the relationship of the Son to the Father. We can begin to see our relationship with Christ. We see that starting in verse 2. And again, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Jesus here is extorting here that as Christians, as disciples, followers of Christ, we are to be fruitful. We are to multiply. We are to be productive. We are saved so that we might be faithful to Jesus Christ. It would be easy to believe that to be fruitful and multiply is a cliche saying amongst Christians because of the amount of times this theme is displayed all throughout the New Testament. This thought of reaching the lost around us with the gospel, being discipled ourselves, and then going out and discipling other people, sharing our faith, sharing the gospel so that the world might see Christ. However, many people believe that if you are a Christian, you do not have to do very much. The thought that because we are justified by grace through faith alone, works are not important or not existent. That we can just take a back seat to our faith and let things happen before our eyes. That we can just come to church on a Sunday, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, then go home and forget about everything we've just heard or sung or thought about. Forget about it, never diving into the word of God ourselves throughout the week, never sharing our faith, never serving inside of the church, never being the witness or the follower of Christ that we have been called to be. Just simply rest on the grace of God and be totally worthless for his kingdom. Just the thought that 
God's grace is enough to save us. And yes, his grace is enough to save us. And we need his grace in our lives because that is what we really truly need. But we have to see that while we are justified by faith apart from works, we are justified by faith unto works. That means we have work to do. Nothing we could ever do would be good enough to inherit the kingdom of God on our own. That is why we need a savior. That is why we need Jesus Christ. It is all through the work of Christ. But now, as believers of God, we have work to do for Christ. To see his kingdom expand, to see it grow, to see others come to faith through Jesus Christ. That same faith that we hold in our lives, that same faith that we've come to know and put our faith and hope and trust in, in Jesus Christ alone. We are to be faithful to that as believers. Be faithful to the calling that God has called us to be. But not only are we supposed to be faithful in how we are doing that, but we are also saved so that we might be fruitful. That's what we are supposed to do. We must ask then what this text is referring to when it's talking about this fruit and being fruitful. In what ways are Jesus concerned about us being fruitful in our own lives? Some believe that our task the only task that Jesus has before us that he wants us to do anything with is just to go out and to share the gospel and to see others come to faith in Christ. And that's our only job, that's our only task, is leading people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Others would argue that the fruit that is being discussed in this text is that of being obedient to the law of God. And these are both true and good examples of bearing fruit these are examples of what we are supposed to do in light of the gospel, and they are important. But the entire central theme of the entire New Testament that we have at our exposure has to do more with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of a changed life, a changed character, a character that is strengthened and nurtured by the source of holiness, that being Christ himself. Jesus here in verse 2 is giving a warning that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. When we are converted, God doesn't say to us, I have now given you my stamp of approval, so let go and let God. That's not what he says at all. He doesn't say, I'm just going to take care of everything for you. You don't have to worry about anything. No, he loves us so much that he cleanses us. He chastens us. He brings his hand on us heavily when we need it. When we need to be reminded of the sin in our lives, when we need to be reminded of the things that we are supposed to do, he does that through the spirit that is guiding and dwelling inside of us, directing us. And that's all a part of the process to be made pure, to be made more and more like him. Jesus here makes a distinction between two different kinds of pruning. It is mentioning separating and cutting back the branches. Fruitful branches are cut back to promote growth. In our walk with Christ, we see the same thing. God must sometimes discipline us to strengthen our character, to strengthen our faith. Sometimes that happens. That is called conviction. When we are reading our word of God and, or through prayer or through other believers just coming and talking to us, and we know that we are doing something that is contrary to the word of God, as the spirit of God working and drawing us, realizing that we are not doing what it is that we're supposed to do. 
And then God showing us, guiding us where we need to go, where we need to turn, where we need to seek direction further. The branches here that don't bear fruit are cut off at the trunk because not only are they worthless, but they often infect the rest of the tree. People who won't bear fruit for God or those that try to stop the attempts of Christ's followers will be cut from this life-giving power. It is important when we are looking at this metaphor here that the cutting off or taking away is not saying that we can lose our salvation. In fact, all through John's gospel, he goes through the doctrines of gracious election and all of its implications, including the perseverance of the saints. One, that when we come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father. Once there's a true conversion from the world into that of saving faith through Jesus Christ alone, there is nothing that can separate us from that great love. A comparison reference comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 13. In this parable of the sower, when speaking of the seed that fell on the rock, it sprouted quickly but soon withered. And Jesus said, this represented those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. These people may seem to be truly saved, and we see these people inside of our church. We see it all around us. People that seem to be truly saved, but they are not in Christ, and they ultimately fall away because they never had saving faith through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm sure thankful for the assurance of our salvation through Jesus Christ. For God taking us and pruning us, cutting back what needs to be removed from our lives, guiding and directing us through the Spirit, through his word to show us where we need to go, It's a daily process. It's not something we can just do once a week or once a month or whenever we feel like it, but it's something that we are to do every single day, living in the spirit of God, making sure that we are focusing on Christ and what his plan and his desire is for us. Because of his work in my life or your life, because of God changing me and for me asking for my desires to be made more and more like his every day. He is pruning what is bad, what is in the way, and allowing for more fruit to grow. And that can happen in your life as well, as well as mine. So often people just think that by saying a sinner's prayer and making a profession of faith, that that is what it means to be saved, and that's all there is to it. Saying this prayer is all they need to inhabit the kingdom of God, and they just say this prayer, and they're good to go, and there's nothing else that they need while not showing any sign of fruit or growth or a real character change because of the work of Christ. People also step foot inside of a church building week after week where the word of God might be faithfully preached every single week. By joining this church, they think that they are good enough. Oh, my church membership's on a church roll, so I'm good. Or I was baptized as a child We start making all of these different rules and exceptions of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But instead, it's a fake faith. While being in a gospel-centered church where you sit and learn about the grace of God every week is a huge blessing and something that we desperately need in our lives, that does not, in fact, mean 
that a person is in the state of Christ permanently because they come and they listen to a sermon and they shake their head in agreement. When that person leaves, the grace of God in head knowledge form will not last an entire week without God truly dwelling inside of the life of that person and changing the hearts and the character from the old person to the new person because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And thinking about the fruit and the vine and Jesus doing the work and recognizing that it is Jesus that does the work. I told Brother Austin I was going to use him as an example. We were talking this morning about his garden and I asked him how he was doing and he had mentioned that he was still able to rototill his garden and he was able to prepare and while the season is over and yes, as we even said this morning, we're so thankful for the heated building that we have because it's getting cold out there where summer has now left us and we are now in fall. And as we prepare and as he was preparing to end his garden for the season and preparing for what it would become next year and what that fruit might look like, I thought of this example, getting ready to preach tonight, of how God does that in our own lives, gets rid of what is bad in our lives, shows us and guides us and directs us on what we need to do, makes us new, prepares us for a new season of life through him. If you were to go down to verse four, it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is using this word abide is a reference to abiding in him. This word abide means to remain close to him. Our productivity, our fruitfulness is directly linked in how much we are abiding in Jesus Christ. As true Christians, we will bear fruit. But the amount of fruit to which we will bear will depend on how much we are abiding in Christ and letting Christ be the ruler of our lives. The closer that we are in our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ, will determine just how much fruit we will bear. The more that we wander or neglect the means of grace that he has given to us, the less fruit we will produce. As I was preparing, I was reading a commentary uh, written by R.C. Sproul, and there is this example in it, and I thought it was funny because just a few weeks ago, our church had a church picnic. We weren't grilling anything, like the example in this book, but the example in this book was the church was gathered together and they were having this church picnic and the pastor noticed a congregation member that had not been at the church in a very long time, but believe it or not, there was food and so he showed up. And the pastor went up to this person and said, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen you in church in a while. And he said, yeah, I just decided I can do church on my own. I don't need church. I can do this Christianity thing on my own. So what this pastor did was, it was a charcoal grill, which I stay far, far away from. Well, he took a piece of charcoal and threw it out of the grill and threw it on the ground. And of course, charcoals are very, very, very hot. I know I was scorched by it just here a couple years ago. But when you take that and you get rid of it from the fire and you throw it outside, it gets cold, it burns. That's the analogy here for a church member. 
If we are not inside of the church, if we are not fellowshipping with other believers, holding true to the word of God, sitting under the preaching of the word of God, corporately gathering together for worship and several other means that we're going to go over here in just a moment, we will grow cold. We cannot do this faith, this walk of life. We cannot do it on our own because we had nothing to do with our own salvation. Our salvation was through Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, all we need in our lives and what we need the most of is Jesus Christ and nothing else. These means of grace that we have at our exposure, there's a list of 11 that I have here, of what we as a believer, what we as a child of God have in our exposure, in our possession to be able to grow closer to Christ. One, the teaching of the word of God. Baptism. The Lord's Supper, which we as a church will participate in a couple weeks. Prayer for one another. Worship together. Church discipline. Giving. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Fellowship. Evangelism. Personal ministry to individuals. That's one I think I like the most, is just being able to gather with other brothers and sisters and believers and being able to be there for one another, really incorporate a lot of these elements to pray for one another, to lift each other up. When someone's hurting, to help them and to point them ultimately to Christ. That's what we we're supposed to do. That's not an exhaustive list by any mean of the grace that God has given us in our lives, what he has given us as a church member to be able to participate with. But if we do not participate in the local gathering of believers regularly, if we are able to, we will grow cool just like that example and worthless in the task that Christ has given to us. If we do not take these means of grace and be able to apply them in our lives and participate in them together, then we are missing out on the goodness of what God has given to us. Jesus is teaching here the necessity of staying close, of abiding in him, taking hold of him and the goodness that comes with tasting and seeing the greatness of God. We must remember that we can't do this on our own. Without Christ, we simply can't. All these means of grace all point back to Jesus and the reasons for doing any of these things. It's simply because of Jesus Christ alone. Simply abiding in Christ does not mean that we will get anything we want. I think verse seven down here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think this is a verse that gets took out of context so often. This is a verse that sounds good and great and wonderful if we just read it for that verse alone. It just says, oh, if I just ask God for anything, He's going to give it to me, right? One thing I've desired for a while is a new vehicle. Well, if I just keep praying to God every day and ask him for that new vehicle, he's going to give it to me. No. That would be awesome. But that might not be God's will for my life at this particular stage of time. This verse isn't just teaching that you can just ask whatever you want and it is going to be given to you. I think often people believe that 
when they are saved or when they come to faith in Christ that everything's gonna be good and great and wonderful and there's gonna be no trials or hardships. There's not gonna be any temptations because all of that has gotta flee, right? Because we turn to Christ. And that is, hopefully you know that to be not true. Having Christ in life, staying close to him, abiding in him is something that is great, it's helpful. The spirit of God indwelling inside of us is something that we need to go through this life to be able to overcome those temptations, to be able to overcome the things in life that we struggle with. But what this verse here is ultimately teaching, that if we are closely abiding in Christ, we're not going to ask him for things that are not in line with the vine. We're not going to ask him for things that are against his will for our lives. Our prayers won't be for God to do whatever out of it for selfish gain or for selfish desires, but that his will might be done in our lives because that is what we should be praying for. So often I get stuck on what to pray for for things when we hear of different prayer requests within the church or different people are sick and selfishly, we always want to pray, God, heal that person or God, do this. We, we think we know what we want. And we tell God what we want. We're really good at doing that. But it might not always be what God wants in that situation. But if our prayers are not focused on God's will and they're focused on our will, they're not going to be answered. But this is, if you abide in me, if you are staying close to me and my words are abiding in you, they're staying close to you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And that again our prayers are going to turn more into prayers for God's will to be done in our lives. Ongoing dependence on Jesus and adherence to his word transformed his disciples' desires so that when they do ask whatever they wish in prayer, their request conforms to God's revealed will already. When we are abiding in Christ, that means that we are closely in communion or at least striving for that type of a relationship with Christ. Not someone that is putting God on a shelf once a week and picking him up at 1025 to get to a 1030 service and to sit there for an hour and then put him back on the shelf after. But striving for relationships and that we are abiding with Christ, that we are remaining close to Christ so that when we do struggle, when we do go through things in life, when we are going to share the gospel with people around us, when we are trying to go out and be fruitful and multiply, when we are abiding in him, he is there with us and he is going to guide us and direct us in everything, in every aspect that we need in our lives. Closely following, closely living for Christ and loving him and others as much as possible. But to abide in Christ, there must be a change. We must be a living sacrifice, as Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In that, we must put away our old selves. We must forget about what the world says they have to offer because the world is good at telling us 
that they think they have what we want. We know that to not be true because of the word of God. And as we see every day that the world is clearly, in general, not seeking out Christ and is not striving for the things of God. But we must put away our old selves, put away what the world thinks it has to offer, forsake the world and put on Christ, abide with Christ. If we are made new in Christ, if we have become a branch on that vine, then this is what we must do according to Colossians chapter three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We must put on the things of the spirit. As we discussed this morning, keeping step with the spirit, we rid ourselves of the works of the flesh and being crucified in Christ and live by the spirit and put on the things of Christ. Every day of our lives, every morning, waking up and saying, today I'm gonna put aside the flesh. I'm gonna put to death all of the things of the flesh, all the things that the world wants me to do, all the things that even in our own flesh and our own desires we might wanna do ourselves. But put that aside and say, today, God, I wanna put on the spirit. Today, I wanna live out the truths of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Live by the Spirit and put on the things of the Spirit. We need to remember who the vine dresser is. We need to remember that he is the Father in this example. We need to remain faithful to Christ all the days of our lives. When it gets tough, when we don't know what to do, we must remain faithful to Christ. We must be fruitful for Christ. Fruitful in that we're not just keeping our faith a private faith, a faith that we are ashamed of, a faith that we don't go and share the gospel with the people around us, but be fruitful and multiply because that is exactly what it is that we are called to do. And also abiding in Christ, drawing near to him, remaining close in him. We as believers must be faithful to the work that Christ has called us to do while abiding in him all the days of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this evening you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge of what it means to live for you, what it means to abide in you, Lord. To remain close to you when everything around us wants us to go other directions, do things that are contrary to your word. Lord, it's my prayer that you will keep us faithful to you, that we might be in the word of God daily, that we might be reading and studying it, memorizing it, holding truths of the word of God to our hearts so that we might be able to apply it and have it at readily exposure for any time that we need to speak of your great word. Lord, so that we might be fruitful, not for selfish gain or not so we can say, oh, we've seen X amount of people saved, but Lord, so we can say that we have expanded your kingdom, that the kingdom of God is being expanded, that when we die and 
for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, we might get to see them in heaven. We might get to rejoice with them and disciple others, Lord, to continue to grow your kingdom, Lord. Your work here is not done in us, Lord. We have much to do. So Lord, it's my prayer that as we leave here, we will abide with you, keep close to you, draw near to you all the days of our lives, Lord. And we pray this in your name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Lucas Setzler from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.